we're already struggling with labor, then why do you need to jump in your truck if I can fly something to you 50 miles away and it returns? But I'm saying there's more technology coming, Brian, very rapidly that we're going to have to be able to maintain and keep running. And so it's changed, this landscape's changing very rapidly. A whole new era of communication in the crop industry is coming. Now you have the brightest minds in the crop industry right in your pocket. And what's best, you can listen to all of them while driving to the field, to a farm, traveling, or running errands. It's never been this good, and it's never been this simple. Welcome to the Crop Science Podcast Show, a weekly podcast where you'll find cutting-edge insights and all that's working in the global crop industry. I'm your host, Brian Arnell. I'm the Extension uh, Specialist at Oklahoma State University, and I work in precision ag and nutrient management. Today, I, I can't be more excited about our guest today. It's Dr. John Fulton with Ohio State. John and I go back more than a couple years. We spent a few few hours in airlines and airplanes uh, traveling, really traveling across the world. But Dr. Fulton is a professor and extension specialist at Ohio State University. And you read through his, his uh, bio and it says technology and farm data are becoming more integral to producing food. His research and extension focuses on machinery automation, and the use of spatial data to improve farm business and end-season decisions with specialization in developing evaluating technology or automated components related to application of equipment to more accurately place meet and meet site-specific crop needs. Basically, John's an engineer. He does some really cool stuff in precision ag, and he can speak to farmers, one of the best I've ever seen as far as being able to be a biosystems ag engineer to relate with a farmer, a producer. So, John, welcome to the podcast. Tell us a little bit about how you ended up at Ohio State because it's kind of been a circle, I know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, first, Brian, it's always a pleasure to visit with you and to be here on the podcast. So, thanks for inviting me that. And uh, kind of my road to Ohio State really began when I was at University of Kentucky and working on my PhD and in once I finished that up, I, I, Auburn University down Alabama invited me to consider going down there, and it was a humbling experience to take a, a faculty position down there. And I spent a little over ten years at Auburn, and that's really, you know, as a, a faculty member, got started with all the research and extension, and um, and teaching as well. And then, well, it's it's we're working on ten years now. Ohio State gave me an opportunity to, to be a faculty member in what we call our food, ag, and biological engineering department with a, a real interest in trying to grow their precision ag program, kind of take it. And uh, I feel like we've, we've done a pretty good job of that, of, of building a team and, and some, you know, components of that, that, that we serve not only research, but more importantly, we, we like to get that information out to growers and in different formats to, you know, we call that extension here at these land-grant institutions. But uh, that's kind of my path to Ohio State. And I always say that uh, it's, a, it's a real homeland experience to serve the farmers here in the state of Ohio. Yeah, so it, it's great watching you. So, you know, kind of tell the uh, the listeners some of the, the, the research and extension you've been focused on, let's say, the last, well, you could go 10 years, but, you know, the more recent uh, activities you've been doing. Yeah, I think when I first got, you know, not only it really started Auburn, but let's, you know, kind of fast forward to when I got going here at Ohio State, 
did a lot of work on planners, planner technology. Uh, we kind of, by that point, 10 years ago, had really kind of moved beyond just metering to downforce. And we were talking about wing, you know, uh, wing downforce. There's a, just a tremendous volume of planner technology coming out at that time and really getting involved with different companies and doing some research. So had a privilege to do uh, to move that to multi-hybrid, did quite a bit of multi-hybrid where we were looking at placement of different varieties or hybrids in case of corn and did that for about four years. And, uh, you know, maybe not the success that some of us thought may be there, but I think it, it really showcased uh, the we needed to understand more about not only the environments and site-specific management, but how to better place if we're going to do that strategy of placement of varieties and, and hybrids out, you know, in fields. That kind of then got into high-speed planning. Uh, did we, We've done quite a bit of work on that front, and uh, we've kind of seen that, you know, be adopted, at least here in Ohio. And so that's been an interesting, you know, few years of just not researching, but you're seeing farmers adopt that technology, not merely to go, I, I guess you would say to go faster, but, we have a lot of large farmers and, you know, the question was, what's our performance in our conditions, you know, traveling, we'll say 10 miles an hour, eight to 10 miles an hour. And so we were able to document that and, and kind of give some guidelines and recommendations back to our growers. And today, you know, we, a lot of growers gone from, you know, like three 90 foot planters down to two 60 foot planters, things like that. So we, we've seen where these type technologies have really impacted some of our growers. And we think about kind of advancing to today, labor shortages. Well, I don't need three operators. I can get by with two. I mean, there's some of these things that are real pain points for some of our growers. And that's what we're really working in today is some of the automation. You know, how does automation fit? Not just today, but what's it going to look like in the future and looking at business models and probably most importantly, Brian, I've been working more on nutrient management. We're, you know, nitrogen and phosphorus is probably the most uh, debated nutrients here in the state of Ohio. Phosphorus, be, phosphorus being the lead, but nitrogen being right right behind. And, and concerns that that poses to water bodies and just the general public's perception. But really trying to think through not what we've done in the past, but how do we better manage NP and K? Uh, even on the phosphorus, a potash. And I know rely a lot on folks like yourself to, to think through not only research, but strategies to be more contemporary in how we manage those. And so we're doing quite a bit of research on that front, not only just looking at sources, but placement, timing, that becomes important. But uh, a little bit maybe how to influence or change some of our future recommendations as well and, and improve more regionally maybe we, we talk site specifically right that would be within a field in my mind but even just breaking that out regionally because we see some differences of uh, production environments here in the state of Ohio so full capacity planters fertilizer applications spray, sprayers you know PWM technology that's that's kind of my core research and now more recently it's how do we put sensors on those machines to provide feedback or in the case of automation actually control in real time what's going on on those machines. So 
All right. So normally when I have a guest, I'm taking notes and I've already filled up a page because a, I had, I had stuff for you, but you already say things. So one, I want to tell just a little bit of background that, you know, it's intriguing how I came to know John. It's because as a graduate student myself, I was involved with a lot of engineers. So as an agronomist, I had two engineers on my dissertation committee, which is probably not that common for a soil scientist to have two soil scientists and two engineers on a dissertation. But those engineers brought me into the fold, I guess you would say. And I've had a, a massive respect for the, the combination of agronomy and engineering and those locations that could work together because it's not very common, at least what I think across land grants, where we have a really good collaboration between engineers and agronomy. But it's really critical when we start coming to getting applied and ready to go tech and the development of tech. And so, John, can you speak a little bit to your experiences of combining the engineering approach with working with folks like me that just break things? (laughs) I think we all break things, right? That's how we learn. I mean, failure leads to success in my mind, right, over anything that we do. But so first, I'd say, Brian, you know, you, you guys at Oklahoma State have had a long history, in my viewpoint, that I've known that of agronomists, engineers, and other disciplines working together to, to kind of solve or uh, develop new strategies, technologies. And so you guys have done a really good job of influencing people like me and how I think and learn because, you know, I would say today in we call it precision ag and, and we've chosen in the last few years to describe it as digital agriculture because that kind of brings in the analytics. Now we're talking artificial intelligence, predicting, right, with all these things. But digital ag, when I look at that, you know, your your guys' influence of data and this technology, I think is a convergence of disciplines. I mean, I can't make the, the best widget in the world if I don't know how it's going to be applied or the impact it may have at a farm. And so it takes a comprehensive solution, right, when you develop new, what I call strategies or how we're going to do, you know, conduct farm practices or new technology that we're going to insert on a machine to do something. It's a convergence of those practices today. So, I believe in that. You guys have had a tremendous influence on my thought process and how I handle it. And quite frankly, every one of my grad students today not only just has engineers, but we go outside and I almost, I'll say, require them to have one or two different disciplines on their graduate committee because that brings that another perspective, another appreciation and you, you, I just believe you, you know, it's that synergistic effect. You, you really can really wrap your hands around a, a, a scientific challenge and better have a solution that's more comprehensive and robust than it's just me or us engineers or you guys, maybe we'll say as agronomists. And I prefer we're, we're just all working in ag. We all have our expertise. And it's how do we blend that together? So um, it's, a, it's a real need. And I would say in the industry, that's what that's what we hear. You know, we, we you know, industry comes and visit with us and they're always wanting to get plugged into like courses, especially our like senior design would be a really good example. We have these capstone experiences and they they they'll tell you, you know, I, I don't 
you know, we, we can go hire a computer engineer. We can go hire uh, a biologist or microbiologist to do biology type work in a, in a company. But what we need from folks like you is we need a combination student that understands technology, potentially understands fertility, like in your case, and then understands the business part of that because they're going to be working in a company that they may not be the salesperson, but they got to support that salesperson. And so I think that's a highlight of what industry for disciplines like you and I work in are asking us to, to do is if they can under, even understand farming and can communicate to the computer engineer, which is a different language. Um, and I mean that in a, a very positive professional way. But you got to explain to them you are creating an app or, uh, you know, a digital tool. And it's got to do this because this is how the farmer or consultant is going to use it. So that's probably a long-winded answer to you. But I guess I'd really emphasize, you know, we are operating in a very uh, small world today because of this, you know, being digital. And with that, you know, comes a tremendous volume of information available to anyone. So it's if we're going to keep up and, and continue to have valuable science inform the farm, we all got to work together. And I think, you know, what you said, and I think, like I said, what you said about working with other dis- departments, we're doing that here at Ohio State. I think there's a value added to that, and it really makes, makes our solutions more robust. Awesome. So let's get down to some nuts and bolts and actually talk some engineering. So you talked to planner stuff, and so – you know, I think planters, I think the soils aspect of the planter, of course. So talk to me a little bit about the trade-off on horsepower what or horsepower and, and tractor demands for pulling a 90-foot planter at four versus a 60-foot or whatever planter at 11. What's our horsepower tractor <laughs> weight uh, and the influence on the soil? Is it the same? Am I, am I not gaining anything by going smaller or faster, or can I actually draw down some tractor weight? No, you. When we we take and and we'll just say and we're gonna we're gonna go from a traditional vacuum or metering type planter and say that we're gonna move to something with this what, what I would describe as the speed tubes on it. You're gonna have to have more horsepower, and that's gonna be on on several fronts. Number one, most of these um, most of these high speed planters are electric. Number one, and so you got to make sure you got the electrical power to support all that and and newer tractors do let's just think about the evolution of just recent tractors secondly you got to have the hydraulic power um when you're going we'll say 10 miles an hour you know number one you got to have technology you got to have guidance technology it is it is extremely hard for a human being to to maintain we'll say a straight line or whatever your preferred path is manually that you all you have to have guidance if not really you need rtk auto guidance to make that happen secondly when you move to that you got to have hydraulic downforce that's a given now some may have some of the pneumatic but i we you know we found and, and recommend out of our shop you need hydraulic downforce so i say all that you need electric electric power you got hydraulic power and oh by the way when you start going 10 miles an hour you know you just can't hook any tractor to a uh, a 40, 60, 90 foot planter, uh, really most of ours, you know, we'll see 40 or 60. Um, 
you're going to need 300, if not 400 horsepower to be pulling some of that. And so we've really transitioned out of this, this phase where typically in my mind on farms, we just hooked whatever tractor was available and was convenient and wasn't interrupting other field operations. We'll say tillage or anything else that may be going on. We just hooked any tractor up and never had to worry about horsepower to a situation that if I want to transition and, and use a high-speed planter, then I'm going to have to have a, a pretty significantly horsepower tractor. Um, I'll tell you, we, we have, back when we were doing some of the research, now we were going a little bit faster than 10 miles an hour, but we brought a we brought a 400-horse quad track to its knees one day going up an incline. So as we move to this high speed and I'm looking at tractors and I'm going back to the soils, John, do do you expect more or less slippage as you move, tire slippage as you move from something big that you're pulling versus something that's that's moving at a faster clip? I'm, I'm thinking about that soil to tire interaction. Does that change as we go from four and five mile an hour to 10 and 11 mile an hour or even not nine or 10 mile an hour? Well, by the basic laws that we know or physics, we always have to have slip to propel a tractor. So you're always going to have slip. Now, the amount of slip that's going to have occur is going to be based on the field conditions, right? So it's, if we're wet and muddy, we're going to have a lot more slip than, than if it's dry necessarily, right? So there are. it's really going to be the conditions of the, the field conditions, soil conditions, as you put it, that are going to drive the amount of slip. Um, I don't know that we – I would say today that you're going to have a, a significant change. The, the question is, is having the horsepower there to propel. So if I don't have the horsepower, right, I want to have a lot more slip because it, it's struggling. We'll say it in that way. So, but when we, when we, you know, have 350, 400 horsepower, if not 500 in some of our, on some of our high speed planners that we use for research, um, typically slip isn't a concern. And the other thing that's kind of changed, Brian, in, in a, this may be a little different in Oklahoma, but I'll say in our neck of the woods, tracks have become a lot popular. Number one, not only on the, on the tractor itself, but also on, on planters, and there's some there's some stability and and a little bit more tire soil base there right area to to help with with that as well. So, but at minimum, you got to have slip would be a take home message. And and then secondly, let's make sure we got more than enough horsepower to pull a 40 foot you know high speed planter at 10 miles an hour in the field conditions that that are local there to whatever wherever you're running. You and I have have had a lot of, of chats about autonomy and this, along with uh, Dr. Shearer, who I think I get to have on as a guest in the very near future, too. So I can't – I mean, between uh. a crop from Fulton to Shearer, it's like this is my uh, – I couldn't have been better uh, a better prep. But so, you know, I keep thinking – we've talked about this for 10 years is like the win of autonomy is smaller and less compaction. I was hoping that high speed we could – move away from so are we just adding to compaction right now well <laughs> i'll let dr Shear dive into that i mean okay. and give some of the figures he's come up with but i what i'll tell you is the the concern i have is is we just continue to get bigger i mean i i'm sure in oklahoma you could do an audit and there's a probably a four or 500 horsepower tractor sitting around somewhere in Oklahoma just because I can oh, yeah. get it. And, 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 you know, we just were at the farm show 
uh, in Germany, and you're looking at Class 10 combines. I mean, you know, these these are just heavy. So regardless of what we try and put on them, tracks or trying to 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 try and get that load distributed, mass is mass at the end of the day. And so it definitely, especially in the conditions we're operating in, uh, meaning when I say conditions, when I look at our springs and some of our falls, now we had a, a really good run here in our fall, but there's there's been years where there's not, the windows are pretty tight. We get rains, we got three or four days, and, and what I would describe is we're going to be operating those machines in marginal conditions. And in that, we're going to, just because of the mere weight or mass of these machines, you're going to you know have influence not only on surface compaction, but even deep compaction. And so if you're growing some of those crops like corn, you know, that require a little deeper rooting volume, you know, depth, we're, we're impacting that. And, and I think we have evidence to say that, but we're, my point in, there's no way, there's not a real lot of evidence that we're stopping building bigger machines. I mean, I can go buy multi hundred horsepower machines today and it continues to be that way. Well, I mean, and you're right. I shouldn't just stick with tractors. The combines are huge. Our grain carts are getting massive, and of course, at harvest a grain cart, you have a lot of opportunity for wet soil. So, I mean, we're getting bigger. I, I hate to, I'll move away from the compaction and maybe hit Dr. Share about that later. So, I do have another route for you, but we're going to stick with the planters. Uh, I've heard, I've been to several meetings, whether it's green or it doesn't matter the company. I have a lot of, lot of tech meetings, a lot of farm shows. A common question that I hear farmers ask, and I'd like to hear your take, is, we got to the point where we couldn't hardly work on tractors because of the technology. Are we also there with planters and sprayers is that, you know, I could, I could do about anything I want on an exact emerge two when it broke that vacuum planter, but are we able to break down with our new planters and have it back in the field? Or are we getting to a point where technical service is going to be so critical? Does that make sense? What I'm asking? Yeah, so I think you're getting down to so let's 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 kind of set the stage maybe a little bit. So number one, when we talk about when you allude to tractors, you're talking about the right to repair. That's been an ongoing yeah. concern and and litigation in a couple of states. And you know the there's an article that crops up every once in a while, right? In farm press, and so. And then secondly, I think what you're suggesting is as we look at planters and now even sprayers mm-hmm. and heck combines yeah. it, to that degree, we, we just continually see more and more technology, meaning sensors and mm-hmm. you know wiring harnesses are connecting all that up. And, and so it's just more and more really what we're doing is automating those machines, right? That's really what's going on. And more and that, more electronics, less mechanisms. It, True. That's right. That's right. And so all of a sudden you got all these electronics. And so, um, and then even that embedded in those electronics. Now we we've got at early, we're still early as you got artificial intelligence embedded. We, we got downforce that can automatically adjust based on field conditions. It learns and, and it does that adjustment rather than we dialing that in in the display or up in a cab we, we still kind of do a preset to that, but it actually will adjust based on conditions. Same for a combine. 
you get some of the like the X9 combines or and it, it's red, Agco, you know, New Holland. You get these new combines. They have intelligence built into them as well. So I say all that. It's it's beyond the electronics. Now all of a sudden you got, you know, intelligence built into them. And so how do I maintenance that? Right. That's what you're getting down to. And so I think as time goes on, it, it, it's it's kind of like cars and trucks. I mean, I think that gives you insight of what's going on. And and the question is, is can I plug in? The, is there enough information at the we'll say the operator station on the display that indicates this is what's an issue or do I have to call someone with the right diagnostics tools to go out, plug in the machine and say, Oh, Hey, your, your ECU or you got an issue over here with this sensor or whatever. That's how that, but that's where we're heading. And so I think more and more farmers kind of like we've done with our cars and trucks, right? I mean, we've evolved to this today that, you're going to have to either build that core competency as you go on and that kind of that your own expertise within the farm, or you're going to have to rely on service providers, you know, your dealership. Well, I know. I, I mean, it, it kills me, but I can't change the spark plugs in my truck anymore because I can't reach them. That That is yeah. the most frustrating thing that I can't service a vehicle that I know how to traditionally do all the things, but I can't even see the spark plugs much less reach them anymore. Yeah, so, any kind of engine. Yeah engine repair i mean so are you seeing um in your area are you seeing the service providers the equipment suppliers the 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 deers the cases are they ramping up their internal capabilities at the same rate that we're seeing equipment put on the scene or is there a little bit of lag with okay i mean i just talked to our local john deere our biggest john deere they're getting their first seeing spray on site I know the folks really well. I'm not sure if their rate is service is seeing spray. I think it's there's been some lag with the training and education and to, to support those technologies. But, you know, it hopefully it comes. What I will say, if you just look at the last five years and, and again, go back to your deer dealership or case and ask this, ask them how many people they've hired into their AMS department or their precision ag department. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that gives you beginning to give you evidence that they're trying to build capacity and expertise to, to deal with the, these technologies that are essentially become embedded. I mean, right, you buy the tractor today, I've got guidance, I've got the GPS, like, oh, oh, by the way, I don't have to unlock anything to do Veriberate or, or connect my planner and do Veriberate. It's, it's just there. And so a sand spray or spot spray, um, it's going to be the same thing. I think you're seeing them ramp up, but I would characterize in a lot of cases there is some lag, and you end up having to call someone that does have the expertise, but hopefully over time the training and experiences come along where they can do that more locally and, you know, when you do have an issue. I mean, it's not a new problem. I remember, you know, it might have been 10, 15, or I, I'm older than I want to say, years ago where we saw, especially most of our dealers that were really good at selling steel, all of a sudden were, went from selling disc planters, plows, to selling sprayers with technology. And there was a pretty big lag then. So what I'd at least say from our area is that, like you said, we're lagging, but it wasn't as bad as it was when we had that first technology push. It seems like we're a little bit ahead of the curve, not not up to speed, but we're, we're moving, building capacity quicker than we did 15 years ago. Yeah. And again, I just share with everyone listening that 
you know, I teach a precision ag class and, and, you know, we'll have upper 30s to 50 students. And out of that, annually, I'd say anywhere from six to 10 students have a precision ag, I'll call it a technology-based job when they graduate. And so that's from a dealership to a retailer or co-op to other companies that are supporting, you know, production ag or livestock ag. They're, they're looking for these folks to, to have a technology interest and to be able to service and, and potentially, like I said, support sales and things like that. But it's a, it's a big thrust right now with all companies to have beginning to build this team that can help take questions, have a call center or whatever they're trying to build to, to help those farmers keep those machines running, keep the farm being efficient and, and do trainings, not only training farmers a little bit, but what more importantly, I think you're getting down to is making sure the people at the dealership or the retail store is getting the right training. So when there is a question or an issue crops up, they'll, they'll have it. Here's one I'll throw out to you just kind of thinking through all this because this is something at the forefront of some things that we're doing. What about when we start, we're already starting to talk about drones. Yeah. I mean, drone spraying is, has been around for a few years. Really it's taken off here in the state of Ohio the last two years and it's going to grow even more. But what I'm saying is, well, what happens when we not only are spraying, but we are delivering cover crops here, but what about delivery? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, not too far off, but my point is, who's going to support all that? Because I'm going to have a dedicated drone suite probably at a dealership or retailer. Yep. Some of these drones have 500 pounds capacity when they finally open up some things legally. But and from what we're being told, at least in the state of Ohio, that's going to happen in rural areas before mm-hmm. it happens in the urban areas again. Yep. So we can talk about FedEx and UPS and and Amazon and what they're wanting to do. But I think it's going to have a huge impact for us in, in ag because we're already struggling with labor. And why do you need to jump in your truck if I can fly something to you 50 miles away and it returns? But I'm saying that there's more technology coming, Brian, very rapidly that we're going to have to be able to maintain and keep running. And so it's changed, this landscape's changing very rapidly. Well, and even, and I'm not going to go there, we can come back again, but as I'm saying, especially with the spray stuff, we're not prepped on how we're training these and the, the regulation's not prepped for it yet. We're still lagging behind on that because I'm getting, I'm doing a talk in two hours on drones and IPM. So well-versed in that, but it's okay, applicator's license. Let's look at chemical labels. There, there's a whole lot in that world that I don't want to breach now. Because you teed me up on something as far as like setting me up for a conversation in the last couple of minutes with you, technically. All right, what are you doing on NP, nitrogen and phosphorus? Because you're, you're dabbling in my world and you're not working that much with me. So how, how are you going to get me up to Ohio? Well, I, I don't know if I'd say I'm not working with you. I think we both have uh, schedules that probably if we would ask each other, hey, we need to get together more frequently. The answer to that would be absolutely. We need to have more discussions. But, you know, don't forget, you know, when I, I need some expertise, who do I call? I'm going to be calling you, and, and we're going to have a, a pretty detailed, and, and I'll probably call you back even after I think about it. But <laughs> what are we doing? So what? there's a couple things. Um, you know, so on nitrogen, you know, the question is, is in my mind, I'll put it to you this way. I'll keep it kind of high level, Brian. 
we, 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 we're doing split application, and we know that's profitable for our growers, in particular for corn. That's what we're talking about, split application of nitrogen. And, and I believe what, the, what my mind is set on is how do we do – what's our next step to say I want to put X amount out and, and, and try and maximize uptake by the plant, in particular corn in our, our case, a little bit on the wheat side. So what is our next steps? Versus, and, and I get the, the prices haven't flowed, but I do believe that we're going to be challenged in the near future, either through regulations or just having the public continue to look over the shoulders of our farmers about, well, what are you doing now? Yep. I, you know, I hear that you're doing this. And so when we think about, at least in my mind, how do we appropriately consider verberate nitrogen which we have some growers doing verberate nitrogen mm-hmm. but how do we inform that to make sure that we're being profitable when we can't predict whether if i'm doing it at a v6 stage Does that makes sense oh yeah so we're do- doing more thinking and trying to work with growers that are doing more what i describe as a mid-season i i'm i'm warm on the late season but it's a mindset. It's a different mindset. You're, you, you've got to be ready and thinking, what am I not just doing in June to side dress, but what am I doing in late June and July if I'm going to do this mid-season? That's a yep. different oh, yeah. view. And if you want to get to what you guys have proven to crop sensors, my opinion on all this is we've got to get to that point. Because at that point, then growers will start to appreciate what a crop sensor would do for them. And I know you guys, have, I mean, it's like talking to wall, right? It, 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 you just have to get to the next level of thinking and saying, this is my cost and I can do this site specifically. And, oh, then now I, I understand why I need to censor. Am I making sense on that? Absolutely. And then, I mean, you're talking my world of, of, of this and it's, it's a whole world where at this moment still, and I thought we would have moved on by now, at this moment still, the risk aversion to yield loss is greater than risk aversion to environmental losses or risk. As simple as that, or even economic. I know many farmers that will still have, be willing to have a little bit of economic risk as far as ex- expenses and stuff. Uh, at, to be risk adverse to yield, and and we'll see as it goes. We, we there's a whole lot on the federal side as that happens, and we got a lot of you know this and that coming through. But we won't, in my opinion, we won't have massive advancements in nitrogen management as long as yield risk aversion is the predominant risk aversion. We we until we shift to economic sociology or environment, there is no benefit for me to short my nitrogen if I am yield risk adverse. Now, the only thing I would I would note in there is if I'd have a technology that enables to do some things that maybe I haven't been able to do. And so take this, just one example. And again, this is very early stages. If you, and I'm not, for all of our listeners, being the university, we've, yep. we've had a opportunity to work with 360 Rain. Uh, that product, and it's new, and all of a sudden, as an example, it's robotic. Mm-hmm. Once you get it set up, and if you have the pumping there, but basically, our dairy farmers and swine farmers and anyone is saying hi. They, this is the, it's a hot cake. I say all that, Brian is, I can go out and finally, 
in a robotic situation, not run over my crop, and I can spoon feed, spoon deliver what's in that those lagoons yep. in a form of MPK. I, I know, but my point is, all of a sudden, we potentially have a tool to change that equation a little bit. I, I do think on the animal waste side that we have we have more capability, and and I'm I'm a little pessimist, and we'll have to talk later because I'm running out of time. But I want to give you props. Uh, you know, I was always the drone poo pooer uh, in amongst our conversations, and I have seen the adoption even in rural pasture Oklahoma come up and I can tell you at least six rigs that have been bought in the last six months that are full blown multi or not it's it's not multi drone but single drone large rigs. And so the conversations in the last year have have developed massively. So I'm gonna give you props on that. You you called me out and I called you out and you win that argument. And so <laughs> I owe you I owe you a drink on that one. It's time for our famous three. But for sake of time, we're going to wrap this up because you and I could go on for, well, we have gone on for hours. So let's let's just go and, and respect your time. A couple, couple uh, just questions about you that we do to wrap this up is, what's a go-to work resource that you have or something when it comes to what you do? What's your go-to resource? I, I guess I can't pick one. So I definitely have a suite of university literature that I will go to. So I'll just use the term Google. I That's a pretty mm-hmm. easy way out, but I can do a quick search and, and get to information that, that we're looking for specifically for research or in the practical sense. So that's, that's a, that's a pretty big one. Just, I'll call it Google, but I got a couple of universities yep. like themselves that, that I, I get to pretty quick to find resources to, to help help us out. Um, go ahead. No. I was just going to say, another qu- next question is probably, <clears throat> I know the answer and it's, it's probably going to be slighted because you're, you're a father with active kids, but what's your favorite leisurely activity at this time <laughs> in life? Yeah, but it's kids, right? I mean, we're, we're at the point where we're, we, uh, we, we show cattle, my kids play basketball, they play soccer and uh are in other activities and uh that's pretty much my, my wife's and i's second job right is is we get to do this during relatively normal hours we'll say not always but but then we get home or i get home it's it's the kids and boy it's 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 fun but it's busy but it's good stuff and finally, so if people want to find more about what you're doing at the Ohio State, and I haven't been able to drop <laughs> that one yet, at the Ohio State, where do people go and maybe some of the stuff that you guys are, are, are putting together right now? Yeah, so two things. If you just will say Google or do an online search, just search Ohio State Precision Ag or Ohio State Digital Ag, you'll get to our website. There's quite a bit of resources on yield monitors to uh, a lot of information on that uh, nutrient management like we were talking about and our second real resource and i encourage people to go to is our what we call our ohio state e fields e and then fields as it sounds and we're in we're in the midst of publishing our 2023 e fields report which is a culmination of extension educators state specialists faculty it's really our on-farm publication that we we do annually and it comes out the first week of january so 
it's a it's an online resource if you if so if you do like i said ohio state e-fields you should be able to get to the web page and see everything's online but if there's a listener out there that would like to see hard copy reprint uh, several thousands and, and majority of those get sent out. We're happy to send a hard copy to folks that are interested in having that and browsing it and seeing what we're doing. Well, John, we don't need to get to do this enough. I appreciate your time. Uh, willing to come on the podcast and visit with us for a while. I uh, hope the rest of your fall and winter goes well and spring planting hits hard. Same for you, man. It's always great to chat. Thanks. Thank you. Looking to elevate your brand and captivate audiences through the power of podcasting? Look no further. Introducing the custom podcast brought to you by Wise Minutes, where we take care of the behind the scenes so that you can focus on what truly matters. Podcasting has become an invaluable tool for brand awareness, but let's face it, putting it into practice can be a daunting task. It's incredibly time consuming and requires technical know-how, but don't worry, we've got you covered. With our experienced team at the help, we'll handle the operational aspects so you can channel your energy into what your company does best. Are you ready to unleash the podcasting potential of your company? Schedule a call with one of our specialists today at the link in the bottom of this episode. You'll also receive a free podcast strategy consult tailored to the unique needs and goals of your business.